Good morning. It's getting more and more Christmassy. I love it. You know, it, it's, I've, uh, well, oh, go ahead. Okay. Um, I, I've struggled with the Little Drummer Boy song. It's a great song. I love it. I love the beat. I love the drums. But, but I think that if, if there's a song that embraces, like, kind of just everybody sings it, everybody sings it, right, Christian or not, it's just, it's a very cultural song where it's like, oh, this is just the seasonal song, right? You'll go into Dillard's or whatever, and they'll be playing Little Drummer Boy, and it's not offensive to anybody. It's just, I'm bringing my drum, <laughs> right? That's it. But, but for us, that, that's, a, that's symbolizing something, right? That's us bringing our gifts before our Lord and Savior, right? That's us acknowledging that the birth of Christ is something more than just a baby, right? The, the, the smile of the baby, the nod of Mary is an affirmation to us of our worship of this baby. So I, I felt like I, I was, as I was singing it, I felt like it was worth the words to kind of capture this. And, and I would just encourage you guys as you listen to Christmas songs, to listen to the Christmas songs. Um, I won't go through it. We have, we have one that's banned in our house, despite the number of times I tell Google never to play that song again. It continues to get played. But because um, but, there's some that just aren't really focused on Christmas. And, and I would say for the parents out there, it's important to capture, like, hey, what's the difference between, right, worship songs and, and every song we sing here is a Christmas song, <laughs> whether it's during December or not, right? It's all celebrating the birth of Christ. So um, anyway, I felt like that was worth saying. It's not part of my sermon at all, but I was thinking about it. But let me, let me start by praying. Father, we come before your word this morning. Humbly, I pray that as we read, as we hear from you, that, that you would just pierce our hearts, open our eyes. For those of us who are, have trusted in you and are just busy and caught up in this world, I pray that you would just recalibrate us, bring us back. For those of us here who, who don't know you, who have not placed their trust in you, Father, I pray that this morning that you would open their eyes, help them to hear these words that you've written and preserved for us. And may it all be for your glory. And may we spend this time gathering together in worship, to do just that, to worship you, Father. You are worthy of our time. You are worthy of our energy. You are worthy of our entire lives. And that's why we sing what we sing. Take our lives, Father. Make it all for you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Justice. We like that word. Um, what do you think? Like, we abstractly, we all like justice. We like the notion that there's things that are right and there are things that are wrong 
and the things that are wrong should be made right, and the things that are right should be acknowledged and rewarded. That's how we bring up our kids, that's how we expect schools, and that's why we have governments and laws, and we vote, and we parent the way we do, and we, 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 we impress that upon each other, we expect that from each other. Justice is just something that we, it's just part of our nature. And when we see injustice, it turns our stomachs, or it ought to turn our stomachs. And throughout Scripture, we read that there's, there's really four groups of people that Scripture continually points to, and that's orphans and widows and strangers and the poor. That's it. Those, those are the four. I mean, that doesn't mean that you don't, if you're not in those categories, you get injustice. But, but, but those are the ones who are overwhelmingly oppressed and deal with injustice in their lives. And so throughout Scripture, and we're not going to spend a ton of time proving this point. I hope that this is a point that we can establish as a foundation that, that God doesn't like that that God intends to make those things right. And we read that in Revelation 21, right? Like, like there will be a day, a new heaven and a new earth, and, and all of that stuff is going to be gone. And so last week, we talked about this Messiah, right? The, the he in Genesis chapter 3 that was going to come and make things right. This, this he that was going to be the son of David. This he that was going to give us his righteousness. The he that was going to bring us peace. And, and we walked through all of that and we're like, yes, in fact, this is what everybody had been waiting for. And then here's Jesus, right? And that's what we're celebrating. But that, that this, this coming wasn't just something in the past that we waited for and now has come in his past, but that he is going to come back, right? And so we're waiting again, and we're waiting for this final coming. Well, in the same way, we're going to see in Scripture this morning that he is going to bring justice. And so in the same way that there was a first coming of Christ and then the second coming that we're waiting for, well, it's the same way with justice. Did Jesus bring justice? does not appear so, right? There's still people living and enduring injustices in their lives. And so the question for us then is, what does this mean? And, and what was God, is God doing when I make the declaration that he intends to bring justice? So we're going to be in Isaiah 42. So if you got your Bible, you can get those out. The verses will be on the, the screens. We're going to bounce around a little bit. Um, but we're going to be going to Isaiah 42, verse 1 is where we're going to begin today. Now remember, this is 7th century B.C. Isaiah is writing this, and he declares in verse 1, Behold my servant, this is God speaking, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. This is what he's going to do. He's going to bring justice. And so, this honestly, this is why um, Israel has a hard time, Jews have a hard time saying that Jesus was the Messiah because they go, well, where is this? He came, he left, and there's no justice for the nations yet. Right? And so we need to go, well, what does this mean? How, 
what, what, did, what exactly did he mean by this? And the answer is in verses 2 through 4. And I want you to read this and try not, try not to think about Jesus. Because this was written before Jesus was around, right? I mean, on earth, right? Isaiah 42, 2. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. This is such a beautiful verse. And I'm going I'm to step back through these things because it doesn't make sense. Do you agree? Bring forth justice. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice in the street. So he's not going to, right? Isn't, isn't that the opposite of what we think somebody that's going to establish justice is going to do? I mean, if you wanted somebody to establish justice, they would come in and they would do what? They would lay the smack down. How else do you establish justice? You go, you, you're right, you're good. You, you're wrong, you're bad, go, right? You, we, we, we put boundaries on them, we punish them. We try to disincentivize injustice. That, that's the only game we got. And it doesn't work. <laughs> I mean, it works for a little bit. That person is now confined into prison. But then there's another person. <laughs> it's like we're trying to stop water from spreading on a table. It just doesn't work, right? Like it just keeps going. And, and no matter how many boundaries we put up, it doesn't work. And so, what he, what, and so then we go, oh, okay, well, God's going to, the Messiah is going to bring justice. How's he going to do it? He's not going to be loud. Nobody's going to hear him. A bruised reed he will not break. Okay, that one, it's probably a little hard for me to, capture what that is but the next one a faintly burning wick all right so picture a candle it's like just got a little bit just a little flame one where if i went like that it would go out right you guys can all picture this right i just do this and just a, the the littlest bit of wind makes it go out that's not that the messiah will not allow that wick to go out that's how soft and gentle and quiet this justice bringer is going to be. Just pause on that for a second. Because that should create in us a little bit of confusion. Because I, I don't understand how that's going to work. And what we're seeing here is a whisper of grace. It's a, it's a pointer 600, 700 years before Christ came, it's a pointer that this Messiah is not going to meet the expectations of the world. He's going to be different. And there's going to be a reason why he's different. And we're going to, this is, this is our guiding prophecy that we're going to be looking at going, how is the Messiah going to bring justice? And this points to it. Because it does not matter how many rules we build we still have an injustice problem, don't we? 
there's nothing you can do about it. I mean, think about your kids. <laughs> think about being a kid. I, you know, I think I might have told this story once before, but I was talking with some coworkers about um, parenting and things, and I was talking to the ones who were parents, and we were having some good discussions, and I was kind of, you know, pinging some things off of them. What do you think about this and that? And there's this kid that's in this, uh, in this office. He's, he was 22, single, young guy. And he speaks up, which is cool. Um, I was his boss, and, and he's like, I, I, you know, and he goes, rebellion's fun. That was it. And that was like, it is. It is. And, and, and for all of the parenting boundaries that I wanted to create, I was trying to establish justice and, and right and wrong and draw these lines. And he goes, yeah, but it's just fun to break the rules. That was how simplistic, now he wasn't a Christian, um, but that was how simplistic and how honest that was. Because it's true. We have a heart problem. Our, our problem is that our hearts are, are selfish and that breeds injustice. We have our own pursuits and gains in mind in this world. We're trying to build our kingdom. We're trying to do whatever we're doing. And honestly, at some level, people get in the way. And maybe this is on a macro level. Maybe this is in a small micro level in, in your relationships or whatever. But the problem is that the Messiah can't come just to establish more rules and boundaries and his are just going to work and ours haven't. It means our rules and our way of thinking of justice is wholly incapable of establishing justice. We will never be good enough. We will never be able to establish justice. You guys, you guys get that, right? And so when we go out and we, we pursue justice in the world, it's not because we think we're going to achieve it. Does anybody in here think world peace is right around the corner? Are we closer now to world peace than we were 20 years ago? 100 years ago? Like, are we going the right direction? I mean, I don't want to say whether we're better or worse or whatever, but it's not happening on our accord. And yet, we're called to pursue justice, to right the wrongs. And so the question we need to ask is, is why? And, and part of this is in this whisper of grace and how the Messiah is going to come and establish justice in a wholly different way. The reason he's going to do this is because he is going to fix our hearts. He's going to sanctify us. He's going to change. He's going to set us apart. He's going to actually come in and do a work in our hearts to start changing us. And if you think about this, this makes sense, right? If I wanted to tell my kids, as I parent my kids, it progresses. When they're kids, when they're really small, it's just don't do that, do this. As they get a little bit older, it's a little bit of why. It's a little bit of application. It's a little bit of like, hey, I, I don't, don't, don't put something in the light socket. It's probably a bad example for me to go through, but don't, don't, <laughs> take it on the fly here. Don't put something in the light socket. Okay, that's it. That's the end of the rules. You don't have to explain to them electricity. You don't have to say anything. 
don't put anything in these holes in the wall. And then as they get a little bit older, you go, that's going to shock you. Oh, okay. They still have an experience that they're just taking your word for it, but you're building, you're expanding these boundaries. And you go, not only that one, but none of them, not in any building, in any place should you put something in the wall. Right? And then as they get older and older, you're like, actually, this extension cord that's cut is the same thing as that thing with the holes in the wall. So don't touch that either. Right? And we, and we slowly explain the whys of electricity and, <laughs> and the dangers of it and stuff like that. Right? I really don't plan these <laughs> metaphors. I really need to think about And so, And so there's, there's a gentleness to that. If you the entire, if, if you had like teenagers and you're like, and you never explained anything to them and you're just like, that's right, that's wrong, that's right, that's wrong, that's right, that's wrong, they're never going to be able to live. They've got to be able to understand this. And so you have to come to them in a gracious way, in a loving way. And we understand this as parents. And this is what God does in sanctification. He comes to us and goes, let me come to you softly and gently and quietly Let me show you the Father's love. Let me show you who this God is. Let me me reflect the love and grace and mercy of God so that you will understand his plan for you. It's not just about right or wrong. It's not just about drawing lines in the sand. It's about a reconciliation with God. It's, It's fixing the fall, it's, it's reconciling us, it's stopping our rebellion. And so he's coming to us, and this is what our God wants for us. And so he comes to us, not with laws, but with an outstretched arm, with parables of seeking the lost sheep, pursuing us. This is, this is the God that created us. And this is the God that's rescuing us. And so this is what he's pointing to. And if you, if you want, you can write it in the uh, section. But if you go to Deuteronomy uh, chapter 10. Verse 17. It says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial. He takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. This is our God. This is what he cares about, right? So, so, so people that are feeling injustices or oppression, they can read this and they go, this is who God is. This is how he comes to us by showing us what he values. He doesn't take bribes. The rich who can pay doesn't matter. It's not who God is. He loves us. And so he comes to us in this way and he changes our hearts. And we read this in Romans 12 too. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What is Paul talking about here? He's talking about our minds being changed, our hearts changed, so that we can discern what is good and acceptable and perfect. And then, 
by implication, what is selfish, what is unjust. Now, I don't wake up in the morning, and I would venture you guys don't either, and say, I really need to make sure I'm just today. And yet, injustice plagues this world. We aren't, we aren't immune to it, right? In our relationships with each other, we, we feel injustices at times, right? And so what he's doing is this process of sanctification. This is the, the process of setting us apart, making us more and more like Christ. We're never going to be perfect. We're never going to be sinless. We're always going to have our sinful nature with us. But what he does is he comes to us softly, graciously, quietly, and reveals what the Father cares about. And then he transforms our minds and our hearts so that we can care about the same things that God does. So that's the first part of this, with this whisper in Isaiah 42 of why this Messiah isn't just going to come, right? We kind of talked about this last week. God could have just sent the Messiah and just went, time for judgment, right? He could have, imagine if Jesus didn't come. Imagine if it just came straight judgment. What would be the result? Are you on the right side or the wrong side? Not Jesus, okay? Ignore everything you know about Jesus and what he's done for you. Have you sinned? Well, what happens? It, is there some economy where, is this like carbon offsets and you can just buy some, buy some good deeds and pay for your sins? And go, well, yeah, I sinned a lot, but I did some good things. And so I'm hoping these things balance out. And then God comes and says, yeah, but you still did wrong things. You don't meet my, my, my bar of holiness. Eternal destruction? Separation from God? What, what would the judgment have been? I, um, so I got a speeding ticket. Um, that's the confession part right there. But I have a good reason. See, you laugh, though. Why? Why do you laugh? What if I had a good reason? Is there a good reason? There's a good reason to break the law? Scripture says we shouldn't break the law. All right? You see, the problem when we go through this justice piece, we've got a cop in here, so I've got to be careful. Um, kind of. Um, but when we go through this justice piece, we, we want exceptions, don't we? This is how we live our life. You don't get an exception, but I get an exception. I always have a reason for what, what, my, why it doesn't apply to me in this context. You guys, though, everybody else in my life, they don't have an excuse, or it's not, certainly not a good enough excuse. My excuse is always good, though. Isn't this how we operate? We all, we all think like this at times, right? Now, I'm not going to go through the whole story, but it was when we were up in Alaska. Well, I guess I'll go through real quick, just to, just to make an excuse. <laughs> we'll come back around to it, don't worry. 
so I, we were in, Melissa had broken her leg. And I had to return the car to six hours away at, in Fairbanks, and we were in Anchorage, Alaska. And so I had to drive to Fairbanks, return the car, fly back in the day. The girls were staying at an Airbnb by themselves, and Melissa was stuck in the hospital and COVID, and I couldn't be in the hospital. I could go into the hospital once per day, and then that was it. One visitor once per day, one entrance, one exit, that's it, right? And so there's this whole thing, and I'm like, I got to get there. I got to hit my time. So I get up early. I leave the house at like 6 a.m. to drive, to get there, to meet the thing, and they shut down the road. There's one road, by the way, in Alaska, <laughs> entirely, I think. Um, <laughs> and in, during the summer is when they do construction, and so they just shut down the road. And so I, I get stopped on the road for 30 minutes. I'm like, what am I, I going to do? I got to make my flight or else my kids and my wife, right? So I'm going a little faster. Anyway, so the cop pulls me over and I try to give him my excuse. And in fact, I'm, I'm going to court next week. Not going to court, <laughs> Zoom. But it's funny, right? Because I go, what's my, and I, I go, I'm not right. I'm wrong. Justice is that I I'm wrong. I can't go to the judge. And honestly, I'm, I'm like learning this a little bit, right? I can't go to the judge and say, but please. He has to execute justice. I can go to the cop and I can say, hey, don't show up, bro. <laughs> Hook me up, please. Like, here's my, here's my, here's my sob story. But this is how we live. This is how we think of justice and how we apply it into our lives, right? And so what we see is that our hearts need to be changed. But it's more than that. Jesus came in a different way. He came to right wrongs. And he did this to also do another, show us grace in another way. If you turn over to Matthew chapter 26, verse 50. This is Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane when Judas shows up to him and betrays him. And it says, Jesus said to him, friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. It was go time. This was time to defend Jesus, to, to get his kingdom, to be established so that justice could be done. This is what they were thinking. And Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father, and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? So he's like, this was a choice. This was a decision. I came to not quench a faintly burning wick. I came like this for a purpose, for a reason. This was intentional. He says, but how then should the scriptures be fulfilled, Isaiah 42, that it must be so? At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, have you come out 
as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day by day, I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. Has this always been a confusing part of the gospel message to you guys? Because it has been to me. That, like, this, this, like, incident in Gethsemane, it's super weird. They're like, yeah, he was sitting right there. You could have just grabbed him at any point in time. Why, why in the context? And then he says in verse 56, but all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and followed him. Did you read that last part? He didn't meet their expectations. It wasn't going to work for them. No, no, I signed on to this thing. I left my family. I didn't bury my father. I dropped my job. I did all this because we were going to do something big. We were going to stop the injustices of this world. And they go, you just flipped the tables on this. You can't die. You can't get arrested. This doesn't work for us. We want to see it. And we do, don't we? We want to see justice happen. We're, we're overjoyed when there's a court ruling or something. You're like, yeah, yes, it was right. It was good. The only problem is, is half the people that you know don't think it was right or good. And this is where our society is plagued right now. Because what's justice for you might not be justice for me. There's a whole nother problem how twisted and jacked up our hearts are that we can't even agree on what is just. And so the Messiah comes softly and gently. He changes our hearts. But he's got another purpose before he establishes this justice. And this one is everything for us. He justifies us. Has ever put these words together? Justice, injustice, and justification? Okay, so we're going to break this down a little bit because the Messiah came, Jesus came the way he did to rescue us. If Jesus had just come and laid down the sword and established justice, we would all be lost. That's it. But what does he do? He comes with grace, and he makes us survivable for the day of justice. He justifies us. That's what that is. That's what he does. He makes us innocent before the judge. It's as if Jesus goes, I was driving the car and speeding, and I just take a step back. Yes, he did. <laughs> That's what that looks like. It says that he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Jesus who came, perfect, holy, the son of God who gave up his throne in heaven, came down here, perfect, blameless lamb, goes, I did their sins. Punish me. Doesn't seem fair. It's certainly not just. That's, that's actually like 
the exact opposite of justice, isn't it? But the judge is the father and the one who established the plan. How glorious is that? And so here comes Jesus, and he walks in, and he goes, no, I've actually taken all of your sins, all of our sins, the sins of the whole world. He goes, I did them. I did them. And it's not, it's not like he's being sneaky, right? The father knows, right? This was the whole plan. He goes, I put the sins on me. Let me absorb your wrath. In fact, the most unjust thing is when Jesus is forsaken by the Father on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's what he took. That's what he did on our behalf. That's what scripture says to us. And so this great exchange is what it's called, where he takes on our sins. He pays the penalty for our sins. And what are we left with? We're left neutral for a moment. We have no sin, but it's more than that. He gives us his righteousness. It's an exchange. The great exchange, our sins for his righteousness. That's not just either. It's gracious. It's loving. And this is what our God did for us. We read this last week, right? The Lord is our righteousness. He was giving us his righteousness. That was the prophecy. That was what was going to happen. And in Jesus is exactly where it happens. He goes, I'm going to take their sins, and in fact, they can have my righteousness. So now when we go before the throne, when this final day of judgment comes, when I go to the judge for my speeding ticket, <laughs> it's not going to work, but when that happens, we are deemed righteous. That's justification. That's us being justified. That's the grace of God. If that didn't happen, we would be lost. And see, this is what is so beautiful about our God is that he has this justice, but he also has this love and mercy and grace. If the judge, if the, if, for my speeding ticket, right, if the judge went, nah, not a big deal, don't worry about it, it wouldn't be just. It's forgiveness, but it's not just. Because then when you go to that same judge, and he goes, nah, forget about it. You're good. And when the next person goes to the judge, right, and if he forgives everybody, well, then there's no justice. Or if he forgives it for me but not for you, there's no justice. And so it's more than forgiveness. It's called imputation. It's this, it's this swap where, where he, our, he gave us his righteousness and we gave him our sins. And so we are justified. And the only reason that happened is because he came softly and gently as a sacrifice, as a lamb prepared for the slaughter. That's what our Messiah did before justice is fully established. Turn over to Romans chapter 3, verse 23. It says, For all have sinned 
and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. It's a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received, how? By faith. This is why we say our, our lives, right? Like, like we are rescued, we are saved, we are justified simply by faith, by trusting in what Christ has done. And it, and it says, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You see that? So, so God preserved his justice. He didn't just forgive. He didn't just say, eh, it doesn't matter. I, my rules, eh. He didn't just forgive. He justified us through his son, Jesus Christ. This justification is our faith. In faith, we trust that this has happened. And so this is why the Messiah came in meekness. This is why he came the way he did. Because if he didn't, we wouldn't be justified. And if we weren't justified, we would all be goners. You guys get this? This is this baby that's born in the manger that we go, man, thank God. He chose to do this. Thank God our God is a God of justice and a God of mercy. Turn over to Matthew 25 because there is a day when judgment will finally and fully happen. And listen to this in verse 31, Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and this is Jesus talking, he's talking about when he comes back now, right? and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. We're gonna tie this back to the injustices of our world. Listen to what he says in verse 35. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer him. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it for me. You see, we, we tie this all the way back around as to why, why ought we to be pursuing justice in this world. If we know we're never going to get justice, we know we're never going to solve this, what are we doing? We're revealing a God that is just. We're establishing hope for the oppressed. We're pursuing peace in our lives. That's what we're called to do. And this is what he's saying. You see, so you guys, we can't just sit here and go, I'm justified. Good luck being justified. 
I mean, James even talks about this, right? If you see somebody that's, that's poor or hungry and you go, be blessed, see you later, it means nothing. No. See, God's justice should reflect in our hearts. That's the sanctification process. As we're becoming more and more like Christ, we are now reflecting God's justice in our world. And the injustices that we see should turn our stomachs, should drive us mad. And we should be doing everything that we can to right the wrongs of this world. So don't think that these things are opposed to each other. They're completely connected. And in fact, Jesus says specifically that they are connected. Now, you're justified because of your faith. You write injustices as a result of that, as a result of the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us, right? And, and feeling the things that God would feel, seeing the oppression the way God sees the oppression. You see, we're different. And so as we go and we live our lives in this world, we can communicate these truths. Why? How? How do we do it? It's futile. The world thinks it's going to fix itself. Right? And we can have a message of hope that it's not. It's not going to fix itself, but there's hope because there's one who can. And there's one who wants to. And the one who has been preparing us and planning this all along since the foundation of the world. And that's the message that we communicate to the world. We pursue justice for a different reason than they pursue justice. Because we're reflecting our Savior. Because we're reflecting our God. And that there will be a day when justice will be leveled. And oh, that this world would know Christ. Because without him, there is no justification. But with him, there is peace and hope and excitement for the world. Let me pray.